Welcome to the It's In Here Somewhere podcast, what the Bible really says and why it matters to you. It was Ronald Reagan who said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. The Bible has the answers, but where? That's what we're here to discuss. This is It's In Here Somewhere. Thanks for listening to another episode of the podcast. It's been a while since we've been able to record an episode, and I, for one, am ready to get back at it. In the first couple of episodes, we looked at the life of Job. And as we looked at this just incredible example of what a Christian should be in the life of Job, we tried to answer the question, how should a Christian respond to loss? No one has lost more in their life than Job. And as we looked at the way that he faced his trial, he faced this loss that he experienced in his lifetime, he did it in a very unique way, in such a way that the men around him didn't even understand and could not comprehend why Job was behaving the way that he was. And what we found is that as a Christian, we are able to face the world in a way that those around us just simply don't understand. The perspective that God gives to his children through times of loss and heartache is incredible. And then in our second episode, we kind of flipped that around. If you're not the one going through the difficulty, maybe you're not the one experiencing the loss and the heartache in life right now, but someone around you is, how do you help those people? How do you guide them through this time? And we looked at Job's friends and simply found just the worst examples that we could possibly find of how to comfort someone who's grieving. And hopefully we looked at that example and found how God would have us to be an encouragement and a help to those people he has placed in our lives. Now, in today's episode, we're going to answer a new question. And that question very simply is this. What does a real Christian look like? Let's put it this way. If I were to go out today and meet someone for the very first time, how is it that I would determine if that person is a Christian? Or better yet, how are they to identify me as being a Christian? We understand that it's part of our responsibility to share our faith with the world. But how do we do that? How does the world identify us as a Christian? Do I wear a sign that says, I'm a follower of Christ? We know that all throughout the New Testament, the disciples of Christ were identified over and over as being his followers. People knew who the apostles were. People knew who the disciples of Christ were. And that was obvious. But how? How did they identify these Christians? And we'll see in just a moment that Jesus took a very unique approach in identifying someone as a Christian. You see, the majority of religions in Christ's day, as well as the majority of religions today, have some signifying mark that you are a follower of that teaching. You are a follower of that religion. There's some outward marking. There's something that you wear. There is something that you keep with you. There is something outward that shows the world that you are a follower of that religion. So what is that identifying mark for Christians? Well, let's take a look. John chapter 14. Jesus has gathered together his apostles, those men who traveled with him, those who knew him best, 
those that he would very soon take and send out into the world to carry his message of the gospel. And he takes several chapters here in the book of John, and he begins to teach them for the very last time. And he reminds them of many important things, and he gives them a few extra instructions that he had not yet given. And he starts off in John chapter 14 with a very famous passage of scripture. And he says in verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Of course, just two short verses later, Jesus would make one of the most famous statements of his entire life, where he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And this is a time where he sits with his disciples. And I think it's very interesting that he starts off chapter number 14, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, why would Jesus say something like that? Well, it's very simple. Their hearts were troubled. Their world was about to change. Everything they knew up to this point in their relationship with Christ was about to change. And even though they may not have completely understood exactly what was going to happen, everyone could sense that this time, this night, everything that's surrounding these events is different. Something is about to happen. And he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. And I think it's very important as we approach this chapter to keep that in mind, that as a Christian, we see the world differently. Understand, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to have that anxiety in our life that others do. Now, does that mean that we are never troubled, we're never anxious, we never have that anxiety in our life? No. But what it does mean is that we have the faith that we have a God that controls not only the events of our lives, but the events of the world. And if we'll simply trust him, we allow him to do what he does best, to guide and direct us. Then we have faith that he knows what's best, and he will do what is best for our lives. And Jesus is reminding his disciples at this time, he said, your world is about to be shaken. Everything you know is about to change, but I'm still with you. I'm still guiding you. Don't let your heart be troubled. You know how this all ends. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in what's happening here and now. But understand that God has a purpose, God has a will, and that he has a plan for everything that's going on right now. Now, just before this, Jesus had done something at this Last Supper that the disciples didn't understand. In fact, Peter at some point seems very offended by what's going on. As supper is finished, Jesus gets up from the table. He goes and he takes a towel, wraps it around himself, takes a basin of water, and he begins to go to the disciples and wash their feet. This is very uncommon. From the reaction of the disciples, this has never happened before. Jesus kneels down in front of the disciples and begins to wash their feet. And they're very uncomfortable with this situation because this is their master. This is their Lord. This is the man that they followed. The one that they've seen preach to multitudes. The one that they have seen heal the sick, raise those who were dead back to life. 
and he's sitting down and washing their feet. And they don't understand. In fact, Peter's the one that speaks up and he said, what doest thou? And he asked Jesus, what are you doing? You shouldn't be washing my feet. In fact, I should be washing your feet. Jesus very kindly and very simply responds to Peter. And he said, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He said, I'm doing this, but you don't understand it now. You won't get it now, but you'll understand this later on. Jesus is in the middle of teaching the disciples a very important lesson. And he brings it all together at the end of this chapter. As he begins to tell them that he's not going to be around much longer. He's not going to be here. And they are the ones that are going to have to take his message, his gospel, and to spread that throughout the world. And he says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And Jesus makes it very clear. He said, here is going to be the way that people know that you are a Christian. Not by something that you put on, not by something that you wear, not by some outward identifying marker that signifies that you're a Christian, but instead, it's the love that you have one for another. And this is so typical of what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples throughout his entire time here on earth. How many times did we see Jesus make statements like the Old Testament, the law taught you, Moses taught you not to kill. I'm telling you that you shouldn't even hate your enemies. He's taking the law and he's fulfilling the law. It would be much easier for Christians if all you had to do to signify that you're a Christian, all you had to do to let the world know that you were a follower of Christ, was to wear that outward expression, to put your jacket on that says, I'm a follower of Christ. And that's all it meant to show the world that you were a Christian. That would be much easier. But Jesus takes things to another level. And he says, you want to show people you're a Christian, you have to live your life in love. That is far more difficult. It would be far easier to put on a garment like the Jews did to signify that you were a follower. It is far more difficult to live your life in the way that Jesus is asking for his disciples to live to identify themselves as Christians. So as we look at this, the key identifying trait of how the world is to identify us as Christians is the love that we have one to another. And this is an important distinction for us to make. It's not our love for the world. It's not our love for sinners. It's not even our love for God. But it's our love for each other. Our love for our fellow Christians. And you see, Jesus again takes us a step further and makes it probably even more difficult. It's very easy to love God. Why? As the Bible teaches us, we love him because he first loved us. Sometimes it's even an easier task for us to love sinners, to love the world, those who are not followers of Christ. Why? Because we look at them and we understand that if they only knew the love of Christ, if they knew the love of God, it would change their lives. 
and we have this desire to share our faith with them. But again, that's not what Christ asked us for. The sign of being a Christian is not our love for God, is not our love for the world, it is our love for one another. And that, many times, is very difficult. Look at the story of the apostles. Even while Christ was with them each and every day, we see moments in their time together where the jealousy overcomes them, where there's disagreements and squabbles between them, and these are the twelve hand-picked men by Jesus himself. What makes us think that we're not going to have those disagreements, that we're not going to have those squabbles, that we're not going to have those issues with one another? And Christ commands us, he says, how is the world going to know that you are a Christian? It's by your love for other Christians. And he asks us this, not because it's easy, but because it is difficult. Now, how do we accomplish this? How do we love one another? We're just going to begin a study here in probably the greatest chapter in the Bible about love. What does it mean to love someone else? Of course, the chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. The chapter many times referred to as the love chapter. It shows us exactly what it means to love someone. I'm sure that most of you have heard dozens of lessons and sermons, read books and studies on this chapter. But I have to say, every time that I come to 1 Corinthians 13, there are a couple of verses that just amaze me. And it's really those first couple of verses. It starts in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul says here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Most of the chapter deals with what love is. The first three verses deal with what love is not. And he tells us in verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, there are some people who have the gift of communication. They're able to say just the right thing at the right time. I would say I probably have the opposite of that gift. I have the ability to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But no matter how great a communicator you may be, if we don't have charity, if we don't have love, the Bible says it's a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's just noise. That's all it is. We know that someone's speaking, but it doesn't really mean much unless there is charity involved. But what it does teach us is that you can say the right thing at the right time. You can have that advice, that counsel. You can have that word of wisdom to give, and it still doesn't mean anything if you don't have charity. He goes on in verse number two, and he kind of expands on this thought. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Each one of these statements for me is more amazing than the last. He starts out by saying, charity is not simply the things that you say. I think we can all get behind that idea that just because we say that we love someone, just because we say uh, that we care about them does not necessarily mean that we do. But then he goes in verse number two, and he says, you can know everything there is to know. You can have all the wisdom in the world. You can have all the answers that you want. You could have the right answer for the right person at the right time in every single instance. He said, but still, you could do that without charity. 
So charity, love, is not simply the words that we say. It's also not the advice that we give. It's not the knowledge that we have. We can know as much as we want about someone else. That does not mean that we love them. We may be an expert on them. We may know every single thing that there is to know about them. We may be able to help them in every situation, but that doesn't mean that we have love. And if we look at this again from our perspective coming from the book of John, showing that as a Christian, it's our responsibility to love one another. It's not just the words that we say. It's not just the knowledge that we may have. He goes in the second half of verse number two, he says, Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And again, we stop and think, if charity isn't words and it isn't wisdom, it isn't knowledge, it's not even faith. It doesn't matter how spiritual of a person we are. Remember, Jesus had taught his disciples, he said, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you could move mountains. And Paul is now saying that if you had that faith, that kind of mountain-moving faith, that doesn't mean that you have charity. That doesn't mean that you have love. So it's not the words that we say. It's not the advice that we give, the knowledge that we have. It's not the faith that we possess. He goes on in verse number three, and this is really where it starts to amaze me. He says this, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Obviously, charity is not just words. It's not just advice. It's not just knowledge. It's not just faith. It's not just spirituality. But he goes in verse number three, and he said, I could give everything I own, take all my possessions, sell them, take the money that I get, and use it to help the poor. And that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't necessarily be love. And he goes even further at the end of that verse. He says, I could take my life. I could give my life for someone else. Allow my body to be burned. And that doesn't mean I have charity. So if charity isn't words, it isn't actions, it isn't the knowledge that we possess about someone, it isn't the faith that we have and the spirituality that we have, it isn't even the act of giving as many times we look at love. Because we can give everything we have, and Paul says, doesn't mean it's charity. Then what is it? What is love? He takes the next few verses of this chapter to really get into what it means to love someone else. And we're going to look at those in our next episode. But really, what he tells us at the end of this chapter is love is the way that we live our life. It's the attitude that we approach our relationships with. It's the way that we treat those around us. It is a mindset that we possess in our relationships with others. That's what love is. We're going to look at this in the next episode. I hope that you take some time, go through 1 Corinthians 13, begin to look at those verses, and we'll study a little bit more about that in the next episode. Thanks for listening.